You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. On fourth and five, Jones steps up, takes off, he's in, touchdown! Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the football grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Grump, I have to tell you something. I've never been as happy waiting 35 minutes for a path train at Hoboken Terminal as I was last night because I was coming back from a giant game. Something we haven't done in almost two years, and it's been too long. I mean, the wait was so long that for the first time in 21 years, I went to a preseason game, and I was just happy to be there, happy to be with you again at the game. Happy to uh, hear fans complaining about Daniel Jones and the offense and blah, blah, blah. It was just nice to have a bit of normalcy again. Yeah, man, it's true. There was a whole bunch of things I didn't realize I missed. I mean, we kind of got there early and started wandering around the parking lot. And just, you know, you were taking in the smells, you know. It's so funny. I didn't even think of that. But as soon as you said it, I was like, yeah, it's uh, the smell of tailgating. I have not smelled in over a year. It used to be like a weekly thing. There is no better smell on this planet than the smell of tailgate. You know, just, ooh, that's a burger over there. I smell hot dogs over there. Oh, I smell somebody dropped a beer over there. It's the best. And just, that tells you fall is coming. That tells you, you know, we're about to start a 17-week journey for the regular season. And, you know, longer if you follow college also. It's great. I was just, it was really just an opportunity to go out on a Sunday afternoon and just soak up all the things we've missed. You know, the football was secondary, even, you know, analyzing, you know, getting ready this team for the regular season. Yeah. That was a little secondary yesterday. That was about just being back and doing it again. And I'm just really happy we were able to do it. I still think it's a ripoff. I still think it's ridiculous. We're paying full price for, you know, basically are watching reps and, and, and drills, but so be it. I can let that go. It just it was just fun to be there. It was awesome to be there, and uh, you know, running into some some friends on Twitter. We ran into Sal. That was really cool. The Jameson Bar. So that you know, yeah, just mingling with with the people that we've all come in contact with, you know, over the last year on the internet, we pretty much lived uh, where where sports lived. Really, you know what is great is you know. We make all these relationships on Twitter and, and, you know, they're 140 characters. They're curated statements that you think about a little bit before you send it, unless you're some of the jackasses on Twitter that don't think and just send whatever. But when you get to meet people in person and you realize, no, these guys really are smart. They really have good takes. They really are thinking. It's not just, you know, having a ghostwriter put, put a tweet up or something or having to really think very carefully. They it's great to it's great to meet everybody and meet you know make new friends new giant fans that are friends and you know talk to smart people you know just not the dummies who just regurgitate what they hear on sports radio you know people who have unique takes and, and uh, different perspectives it makes all of us smarter so when you meet some knob it's a Philly fan or some you know dumbass bandwagon or Dallas fan you cannot argue them in any possible conversation about football so it's great to meet guys like sal and we hope to meet more of you in the future this football season yeah i mean uh 
Giants fans are, are lucky enough to have probably the best set of amateur podcasters out there on the internet of all sports teams, and uh, therefore they're the most educated. How about that? Yeah. Um, no, really, it, it was cool. <laughs> I mean, go out there and we just had a, a really nice conversation, and uh, you know, it'd be cool to keep having those. You know. Yeah. Um. So I, I guess the big news of the day here is you know the, the Giants played the Patriots on on Sunday. Uh, 22 to 20 loss. Uh, but you know, first time we got to see the starters in action, so there was a lot of anticipation, a lot, a lot of stuff that uh, people were keying in on, and a lot of uh, roster shakeout right for the for the second half of that game. And so there was a lot that was riding on this game for for people, and uh, there was a lot to watch for. So this was a preseason game worth kind of keying in on a little bit. Um, but probably the biggest news of the day is as these 53 man rosters the initial ones anyway are shaken out for if you're listening to this tuesday morning so today at four o'clock when they're due um is the giants made a trade with the cincinnati Bengals. they traded interior defensive lineman bj hill former third round pick that was obtained for the jason pierre paul trade uh good player played well for us was kind of in a rotation with a i guess one of our strongest units there uh, traded for Billy Price, former first-round pick of the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, who has had some struggles, interior offensive lineman, where this is probably, I think, the agreement, uh, probably every beat writer for the NFL agrees is the weakest spot uh, for this team. Yeah, let, let, let's set the stage for this a little bit. So coming out of, you know, after the first half of last night's game, what was your overall state of mind about the offensive line heading into the season? Were you, were you, you know, more bearish than you were, you know, before the off season happened? Were you just like, ah, it's still preseason, you know, we're missing a starter, you know, we, we Nick Solder was 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 brutal at right right tackle, and we know he wasn't going to be starting in the regular season. So, what was your just kind of assessment after the game last night? Like, were you as concerned as some people are heading into the off season? It, I mean, it was bad. Um, but again, we have a small sample size here, so we didn't really get to see the starters over the course of, you know, all of training camp. I mean, we as as fans, we just don't have that level of access. So it was a bad game, mostly all around for the offensive line. There's no sugarcoating that. Now, that's just a very tiny sample size for us fans. I mean, there's only so much I can consume. So, you know, you have a bad game. In the, if, if they had played, you know... I don't want to like in a different time, but like, honestly, you know, we're not used to this. A couple years ago, it was customary to work your starters in first game, second game, third game, they play into the third quarter. And then the fourth game, they don't play at all. You see the improvements and you have a bad game there. You have, you can compare that in the context of all of training camp and all the reps that they've had. And so a bad game like this for Nate Solder, for Andrew Thomas, for that matter, did not have a good game at all. Um, It's, you got nothing else to compare it to. So walking out of the stadium, yeah, it, it looked brutal. But, you know, upon rewatching it, there were some other things to kind of look at. And I have to understand that the reporting from practice indicates that they are not this bad all the time. And and this is the worst Andrew Thomas has, has looked, I think, since he's been here. Uh, that, I mean, that was just it was an awful game, and it was a completely different problem for him, you know, getting beat around the outside, just not something that – he had an issue with last year or at Georgia. So just a, a weird one. So I came away feeling bad, but it's important to step back and rationalize that I only got to see a handful of snaps from the starters for all of preseason. And that is not a good indicator. 
I mean, it may be, but it, it's not a good indicator to rely on for what the whole season's going to be. Yeah, and also, you know, based on the skill position players that played, you know, that may or may not be the play calling you're going to see in a game in, in real life. So things are different. So that may impact what kind of, you know, uh, uh, protections they're going to do and, wh- and what types of schemes they're going to do and everything, too. So it's this, you know, this is, again, A's are still glorified reps. They are still getting, you know, they're getting acclimated to playing with each other, you know, and all that. So I don't get too bent out of shape about really anything I see in preseason, unless it's something where, you know, a Nate Solder, that's something you can say, okay, that's not going to work. But, I mean, overall, the unit, I expect the unit to be ready to play in two weeks. I I, I think they will play better. I think there's, you know, when, when it's time to flip the switch and you know you're playing, you know, not just 15, 20 snaps, you're going to be expected to play 70, 80 snaps. It's different, uh, you know. One sack out of nine plays seems a lot worse than, you know, th- two out of 70 plays or something, for example. So I am not going to I'm not going to freak out until it's really time to freak out when there are live bullets being whizzed around in a real game. Not it's just I, I, it's not worse than last year's offensive line where people seem to think it is like Andrew Thomas didn't regress from last year. No, he's but going, I mean, I, I can understand. Better. Yeah, I can, I can understand. You know, this is really, this game was all we had really seen of Andrew Thomas. So if you flipped out, like, what is happening here? Like, I get that. But in the context of this BJ Hill trade, though, the, the real problem is the interior. Because you have to, we have to, we've been a little bit uh, foggy-eyed about this situation that we're in currently. You know, if you step back, I don't know, a month and a half, we're going into this, like, yeah, I guess Matt Parrott and um, Shane Lemieux are penciled in at the starting spots for left guard and right tackle. We'll have to see how they do. And, you know, we're worried about both of those pieces. Now, Shane Lemieux has been down with an injury for quite some time now. And it's not serious, but there's no reason to push him. And we have now watched a rotating door of, you know, Ted Larson and, and Kenny Wiggins. These guys, they kind of pulled out of nowhere. And now they bring in Billy Price. And it's because we're like pining for Shane Lemieux at this point and we're he's still a question mark I mean and he's our yeah. best option right now so getting Billy Price I mean this trade has to happen and Billy Price has kind of flamed out in Cincinnati he was drafted higher than I think he should have been I, I was high on him coming out of the draft and I'm admittedly very rusty on my Billy Price knowledge coming out of college it's been a while and it happened today while I'm prepping <laughs> for this episode so this is going right. to be the most articulate assessment of Billy Price but Never should have been drafted in the first round. I very rarely think that interior O-line guys should be. Um, But he's a good player. And quite frankly, we have very few good players in there. He's not going to come in and save this offense for us or save the season. He's just, he's depth that we need. B.J. Hill is depth that's expendable with value. Uh, you know, we'd like to keep him, but he's he's what we've got that we can trade for something that we need. And so it it was the move to make. He was going to be oh, pick up his option type thing, or there was going to be some contract decisions to be made with him soon. BJ Hill, correct? That is correct. There's no option involved because he was a third round pick, but um, okay. yeah, this was a contract year for him. So right, so that's a decision that you know if you're going to keep him, you're going to have to pay for him. You know, probably more than you want to for a guy that's a rotational guy. So. And, yeah, but I mean, there's other things yeah. too. I mean, you get a year out of him if he stays. You let him walk, and he has a really good year. Then you get some 
uh, compensatory pick, you know, whatever for him. So it, it it all works. But I mean, right now with the defensive line that we have, we don't. Somebody's got to be expendable there, and he's one of the guys that has value. So it's worth it. Right, and and one of the things we'd say this all off season and all training camp that we expected to get another body or two when the waiver wire hit and, and the cutdowns yeah. happened. This is just, you know, you are kind of. Instead of getting somebody off the scrap heap, you are getting somebody that was implanted on a roster. Yeah. So you're you're upgrade. You have to pay to play, and you're just we paid a little bit more to get a better quality than somebody that's just for whatever reason not going to be on a roster. No, yeah, you're you're precisely right. I mean, we're not we're not out here obtaining wagyu beef here, but we're also not getting ground beef from the waiver wire. We're getting <laughs> some level of tough fucking meat that we can use for something, you know. So, <laughs> and and you're right. You know, why wait for the waiver wire when we have something? We're probably going to cut a good player in the D line. Why not just swap them and you get somebody who? But I don't think Billy Price was going to get cut. To be honest with you, I mean, he's I, don't, I don't think so either. Right. So, and I think B.J. Hill is one of the guys that could have been if needed, but, you know, whatever. So let's let's get into that. So let's let's get into how the starters look. Let's start on offense, though. Um, this was the first time we got to see Daniel Jones. And, uh, you know, walking out of that game, I remember feeling like, eh, whatever about him. But then re-watching the game, and, and this is why I do this, because there's so much that's not easy to see. I only get one shot live. I only get one shot at each play. And I can see the whole field, so focusing one way or another is not easy. Um, but I thought he played a pretty efficient game given what he had to work with. You know, he's playing without a lot of starters, but he completed nearly 80% of his passes. He had a beautiful touchdown pass to Caden Smith. Outstanding placement on a guy who's not overly tall, by the way, um, for for like a 25-yard touchdown or something like that. But everybody remembers this stupid fucking pick. Yeah, well, it's one of those, uh, you know, the overused, uh, but what'd you think of the play Mrs. Lincoln type of things, where one play will just completely, it'll distort your perception of the entire work. And, you know, this game to me, when I thought about it again last night, was this is a lot like what Daniel Jones had to work with for the majority of last year. I mean, Daniel Jones had no weapons to work with last year. So because of that, you know, guys couldn't make plays on their own. Because of that, the play calling was modified based on the talent on the field. Based on that, the offensive line, you know, had some different protections than what they're doing for, you know, different types of plays. So this to me was just more like an extension of last year's season. Now, granted, different scenario why and situation. We get it, it's preseason, people are held out for precautionary, not because they're just not available, but these are reps, and I, I keep stressing to people, preseason is not the dress rehearsal for the regular season like people think it is. These are still repetition. These are still, you know, getting your throws in, get, getting your footwork down, play, running plays that are not game plan plays, but plays that they specifically want to see something accomplished by that play. So with all these things taken into account, you know, with the exception of the, you know, the interception, I thought he did a, you know, just pretty much what I wanted to see out of him. And that interception, you know, I've looked at it several times last night. I'm still not 100% convinced that that wasn't just a, a blown like route or something even. Like I, I that might have been thrown to the right spot, but it looks like the receiver kind of maybe stopped for half a second where, you know, that might have thrown off the timing for it. 
you know, not every pick is the quarterback's fault. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't care. It's To me, you know, maybe Evan Ingram is supposed to stop on that route right there. But in that moment, he's throwing against the grain. I, I don't want to ever really see that. I mean, we're not dealing with Aaron Rodgers here who's earned his keep, or even Eli Manning for that matter. To have pulled off enough stuff to throw that risky, and, and I, I, yeah, I, but I there's get a, it, but there, like there's against the grain where you know you're rolling out all the way to the right and you're throwing it clear across your body, back to you know across the um, you know the hash, and then there's that where it was just like he threw across his body like a foot and a half, two feet. That wasn't throwing across your body like you know the cardinal sin of these guys. You see the horrible picks, so I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get on his case too much for a poor decision. I just think it was just bad execution. No, I mean, uh, there's there's a million factors here. So, I mean, I looked at it a bunch of times. The fact of the matter is, I, I, because I started seeing a lot of, like, blame shifting for this. A lot of people kind of excusing, like, you know, Evan Ingram was supposed to sit on that route. Like, okay, maybe, but you still threw it. He's not there. I mean, he's still running. So, you, you don't know that he's going to do that. It's probably not really by design because the whole timing got blown up by poor blocking. So that's not Daniel Jones' thought. But at the end of the day, that decision to throw it there was his. I mean, somebody else pointed out that, you know, on the play before Evan Ingram, they had the right play call and Evan Ingram got tackled like at the like half yard line or something. And they're like, you know, he should have tried a little harder. Like the real thing is that Darius Slayton screwed up his block on that play. They had the right play call. But at the end of the day, it's still Evan Ingram didn't score on that play for a, t- a myriad of reasons. And now you're in this situation. You have to know, especially in the first quarter, I believe it was, right? Because I think it was the second drive of the game. Uh, you you have to know that you have to just survive another day. Sure, you don't want to kick three, but that's better than throwing a pick. A lot of things are better than throwing an interception. So am I going to kill him for it? No, it's preseason. This is the time to do that. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't change my narrative about him. And I think, again, you know, again, we've mentioned Andrew Thomas before. I think if you went into this game with something against him and your your decision-making is final and you think he's a bust already, you're probably going to say, see, told you. If you don't like Daniel Jones and you think it was a a, a bad draft pick and you hate Gettleman for it and you're never going to give him a chance, you're going to take that pick and be like, oh, my God, the season's over. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, if he does this two, three, four times during the season, this is a, a trend and a chronic thing with him and he's not developing, he's not learning from mistakes. All right, then we'll have this conversation. But right now, because something happened in, you know, mid-August, late August, we're still two weeks away before the season started, and you've made your decision up, you know, the draft pick was a bust. He's never going to develop. They're going to draft a quarterback next year. They're firing the GM. That's not happening. They are not drafting a quarterback next year unless the number one pick somehow falls into their hands. They are not getting rid of Daniel Jones next year. A decision may be made about picking up the option for the fifth year. They are not drafting another quarterback next year. They're not cutting him next year. This is our quarterback. You know, he's on a rookie salary still. They're still going to squeeze as much orange juice out of that orange as they can until they realize there's nothing left in the cup. Yeah, moreover, uh, you know, I'm not going to get too far into the future there because it's just like they're not making any decisions about that based on that game. So – Whatever. I, no, you know, no. But I mean, so it's just whatever. like it's it's just the people that just you know who 
disagreed with drafting him in the first place. And it, because it's a thing, you just you go to a giant game and you hear them, you know, squawking behind you. You're on the the train coming home. You know, it's 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 the argument that the sports radio crowd has as opposed to the podcast crowd. And I'm gonna you start using this analogy more and more this year. I mean, you guys listen to this show. You are part of the podcast crowd. You. You know, if you're listening to us, I guarantee you're listening to the other really good shows that are out there, the bigger and the better ones. But you guys get it. You guys listen for specialized shows to listen to, you know, people who follow this show passionately, writers, reporters, bloggers, smart people, Grump and I. <laughs> We're not part of that group. We just happen to yap about it. But you're as opposed to the, you know, the, the, the fan uh, hot take artist who's just, you know, going to rattle off the hot takes to get you to call in and you to get riled up. And Daniel Jones is going to be an argument right now for that crowd. You guys, I, I think are, are patient and smart enough to see, let's see how this plays out. You've made no definitive decisions here or there. I mean, we don't know. He may be, it could very well in two, three years, they turn the page on him. I don't know that yet. I haven't seen enough out of him yet. I haven't seen him play with a full deck yet. I haven't seen him play with, you know, a full complement of receivers. I haven't seen him play with a good offensive line. I haven't seen him had a, you know, a really good offseason. I haven't seen Jason Garrett use his offense yet. I haven't seen a lot of things yet. So to say he's a bust, I'm done thinking about him, is foolish right now. Yeah, I'm not even going to address that. <laughs> um, moving into to running backs, this was kind of the disappointing thing. Not disappointing, like whatever, but this is like one of the spots where we didn't get to see some starters here. You know, Saquon Barkley is looks like he's definitely ready for week one, but wisely not playing. Uh, so we, we got our, our dose of Booker and Clement and Brightwell here, and um, they all looked good in their own ways. They're all a little bit different. Um, you know, Devontae Booker looks like he's the guy that's going to be first off the bench. And quite frankly, what that means is splitting a lot of reps with Saquon early. Um, but I think with everything with this coaching staff is that they're going to use guys when it's time to use guys. You know, somebody like Gary Brightwell may play one game out of his ass fantasy-wise. He might be game-planned into this game to just destroy whatever it is they see on film from... I don't know, the, the Denver Broncos. You know what I mean? They see something. If they see a trend from some defensive line somewhere, whether it's in week four or week 14 against somebody, they might be, that's the type of skill set that we could use. Or, you know, it might not even be for a full game. It might be something for like, okay, when we do our rotation, you know, and this, instead of going to Clement, we're going to bring him in because we think this is a better matchup. And he does the job. That's all we're going to ask for for a guy like him, and especially his rookie year. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I think for a lot of things that we're going to talk about in terms of the, the roster and, you know, how people fit into it, um, we're going to, you know, we're going to see a rotation of guys or guys that are in there that may not get a whole lot of playing time some weeks and then a couple weeks in a row get a ton. So, I, you know, I think Devontae Booker looks like a solid rotational back and I think that uh, he's not perfect. You know, he, he is, he was obtained on the free agent market for a reason. Uh, he missed a block on third down in the red zone, forced an early throw, got saved by a defensive pass interference. But otherwise, he looks perfectly capable of taking just, 50% of the reps. Or more. Just remember what your expectation is for this role on this team. Okay, if you're, if you're expecting someone to have starter, impact starter, you know, blocking ability, starter moves, 
that's not what we're looking for. And don't expect that because you're going to be very disappointed. You're looking for someone who, again, the early part of the year is going to spell Saquon and give him, you know, the, the, the blows that he needs. And then he's going to drift off and become a guy that for a miscellaneous series or two is going to have to come in and do his job. We're not asking him to be a thousand yard rusher. We're not asking him to be a bell cow to run 25, 30 uh, rushes a game. Now, if Saquon has a setback, which is entirely possible, let's not let's, let's just not assume, oh, well, by week one, he'll definitely be back. And by week three, he's going to be running 35 carries. I mean, he's coming back from major surgery, major rehab. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a week like week two, week three, where he might not even play because, you know, just the nature of his progress coming back dictates that he has to. You know, that's, that's a different story. But for what we are calling on these guys to do, let's calibrate our expectations based on that. Right, yeah. Uh, and I think that – I thought it was interesting. This was the first time Brightwell got some reps with the ones here. He came in in the second quarter to spell Booker, and he looked pretty good when he's – so it's like, oh, it's always so hard, right, to like judge these guys and how they work when they're only playing in the fourth quarter against – they're playing against like fifth stringers, but also the offensive linemen blocking for them are yeah. like fifth stringers, so it's like whatever. But Brightwell with the starters, did he looked perfectly fine? I mean, in in all aspects of the game, he looked okay blocking. He he has this quick first step when he's running. He wastes no time before attacking the line of scrimmage, which might actually get him in trouble a little bit because you, you kind of have to learn a little patience. Let me ask you a question. You know, we're talking about the offensive line, eh? If a guy like him looks halfway decent running with the ones. Does that give you a little hope for this offensive line? Like, okay, there's a guy back there who's clearly not as talented as, you know, you know, Booker or, you know, you know, forget Saquon. Well, I don't, I don't think he looked better than Booker though. I think he looked perfectly okay. Okay. But that's all. The, my, my, I'm, I'm looking at this as kind of a, of a different perspective of like the offensive line allowed him to look perfectly okay when we had no expectations for a guy like him. Isn't that a little bit of a, you know, tip to the cap of the offensive line, the first team offensive line. Sure. Well, yeah, well, I mean, over the twos, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, the, the offensive line wasn't terrible in all aspects. It was mainly pass blocking, but we'll, we'll kind of get there in a little bit when we get to them. But it, the other thing is that like, I didn't know what to make of Gary Brightwell as a draft choice in terms of the passing game. And he looked very comfortable and I didn't know that he had joined uh, he started his college career as a slot receiver. I mean, now, you know, he didn't have a perfectly good hands catch, but, you know, he he looks good running routes, catching the ball and turning upfield quickly. You know, so he he's clearly experienced there, and he looked fluid in game action. So, I you know, I really like Gary Brightwell. And for not, not for nothing, Gary Brightwell was in on the uh, the two-minute drive where they scored a touchdown. So and and I actually want to address that when we're talking about Daniel Jones here and, and the offense and how they look good or bad or whatever, they managed to with what was it like two minutes and thirty seconds left? They scored a touchdown without using a single timeout, and I think there was still like forty three seconds or something like that left on the clock. Yeah, so, you know, it was like like a minute and change it took them to score a touchdown. You know. If we're talking about you know people who complain about Daniel Jones with the you know has no clock awareness is no you know that drive is a good example and also if we're going to get out our first stars and farts of the season a definite fart to the clown sitting behind us who is blasting Daniel Jones for uh, 
for not paying for, attention for a delay for a game, delay. but it was actually the two minute warning. Yeah, exactly. So or end of the quarter rather, end of the first quarter. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what yeah. it was. The end of the first quarter. I mean, again, it goes back to narrative. And again, if you are down and you're out on Daniel Jones, you're going to create shit out of nothing. And it was just really funny the tirade the guy went on about him not having any clock awareness or anything when it was oh the end of the quarter. So, <laughs> but Doofus. yeah, I mean, he, he, he executed a very nice two minute drive and that's kind of, those are the things you want to see from a young quarterback. It's not all just arm strength and, and, and throwing perfect balls and having a super high uh, completion percentage. It's, you know, it's awareness on the field, running an offense, leading a team. And, you know, he's getting there. He's only started how many games in his career? I don't know, like 20. 20? I mean, I, Call me crazy, but uh, that offensive line and, 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 and uh, quarterback, those are the last two positions you make your decision on whether some guy is going to be good or a bust or not. It's a lot of time they need to percolate and, and you know get that experience before you can make any decisions on it. So we are still in wait-and-see mode with Daniel Jones. Yeah, it's closer to 30 games he plays. Okay, still. I just did just the math in my head. Anyway, Corey Clement, you know, he got he got the third quarter reps after Brightwell. No, I don't think that means anything. I think they wanted to get a look at Brightwell with the starters. That's all. And he looked pretty solid in the run game here too. Nice run to the outside on the left side for eleven or twelve. I think Corey Clement looks good too. He's he's a little bit different also. What's interesting to me is that they keep doing this thing with Eli Penny, and I don't know if it's like I mean he's earned the reps. Or if it's like they're kind of dangling him out there to show other teams that he can do more stuff. But he keeps getting these these running calls, and he makes the most of them. I mean, he just shows some solid power burst right up the middle, man. He doesn't like going down either. I mean, he doesn't look like, uh, oh, what? Mike, uh, Mike Allstott? Yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. yeah it, not quite like that. I mean, I don't think we've seen anyone quite like that since. <laughs> Maybe Derrick Henry? Maybe. Possibly. But, yeah. Uh, he kind of looks like him because he's that bigger guy going up there, and he doesn't usually go down on one hit. You know, he pinballs around a little bit, keeps his legs moving. But we still haven't seen Colin Gillespie. I don't really think do much of anything at fullback, so there's that. But that was kind of the running back group as it as it were. Um, moving into the wide receivers and tight ends here. Now, this is the first time we really got to see some of these guys. Sterling Shepard looks like an animal this year. I mean... He is probably the most regular season-ready player on the offense. I mean, he had a ridiculous third-down catch where he cut so hard out of his break that he actually, like, fell himself. But the, I mean, he had created so much separation by that wicked cut that he had plenty of time to get up off the ground, make a catch. He was The ball was in the air when he fell, too. And he not only did he catch it, but he didn't fall over when he caught it either. He got some yak after it, like five yards. It was a really great play. I mean, this is an important year for Sterling Shepard. I mean, they drafted Kadarius Tony with the long-term goal of probably replacing him. So, you know, when he has some you know, honest competition on, you know, on the roster, you have to kind of start stepping up. And for no other reason, if you want your next paycheck to be a significant paycheck too. So he has a lot of motivation to, you know, be 100% focused and all in on his career because this is a, an important kind of junction for him. He's been solid, but I wouldn't say, you know, the average NFL fan who's not a giant fans out there going, Oh, Sterling Shepard, you know, got to get his Jersey. No, not yet. No, but I mean, again, you know, he hasn't really fit in an offense where there was a ton of, 
That's true. Talent around him either. That's so, fair. And he's not that guy who should be stretching. He shouldn't be the X factor on offense. He should be that second option that's just wily and annoying for defenses. That's so, true. Darius Slayton, he had a pretty tough game. Uh, he, had a, he had a big drop on third and 13, which probably should have been a holding call anyway. He had an OPI. He, he had some bad blocking at times. It did look like he was dealing with a lower leg thing. You know, he kind of hobbled around a little bit, and then he was having trouble sustaining blocks after that, I noticed. Um, but, you know, a bad game for him, straight up. He's going to be a guy who he's not going to have to be that wide receiver one anymore, right? But that means that that wide receiver, he's got to catch those balls that are coming at him. That's important now. You know, a lot of you Giant fans are also Nick fans. And the comparison I make for Slayton is I think he's a guy, when you have a bad team, you get excited about because you don't know any better and you don't have enough talent around where he should be replaced by somebody better. And I've never been a big Darius Slayton fan. As long as we've been doing this show, I've never been a big fan of his. I always, you know, I, I think he's too inconsistent. I think there's small flashes of what, you know, but people, giant fans seem to like him. Again, another guy where around the league, nobody cares, but a lot of giant fans, you know, they latch onto him. They think he's something special. Um, I'm hoping, you know, now that we are getting more talent at the wide receiver position, that a guy like him becomes kind of expendable because there's guys replacing him. So, you know, not a good night last night, but I don't have high expectations for him. I just don't think he's that great of a receiver. And, you know, I, I at some point his days are going to be numbered here because I think there'll be better talent to replace him. I mean, I'll admit that this is a big year for him. Uh, I, I, I'm a little bit more high on him than you are. I think that... Yeah, we, you always have When it. it comes to... I mean, you know, he has these games sometimes, but for the most part, this isn't him. And and last year, you know, I had I had rewatched a whole lot of last year, last year's uh, season, you know, in the last couple weeks uh, or so. And, you know, before he hurt himself in that Washington game... He was much, much better. And you can tell that that was one of those things that just bothered him all year. And there was, frankly, he was kind of our number one wide receiver last year. And there was no depth behind him. He was kind of just playing hurt for most of the year. Whereas if this happens to him this year where he's got something nagging him, are we really going to be set back by having to sit him now with this depth? We'll get into that when we get into the 53-man roster. But I feel a lot more comfortable with Darius Slayton missing a two- to three-week stretch just to get 100% healthy this year than I would have oh, last yeah. year. Last year, I'd almost say that that's a losing streak for sure. Oh, that's an indictment just on the lack of depth we had last year and the injuries and everything. So, yeah, that's that's a different story. I'm just talking, I'm, I'm focusing on him just personally, just, you know, what his skill set is, his inconsistency, you know, for every for every time that Evan Ingram, you know, drops a pass or tips a pass or does something bad, so did Slayton. And, you know, again, much more expectations for a guy like Evan Ingram, obviously, but the fan base kind of gives Slayton a complete pass for those things where if it was Ingram, they'd be going apeshit about so I don't think it's exactly equal, but I do think you're right. I think he, Terry Slayton is more likely to, ev- to – and I've seen him get passes for you know screw-ups where Evan Ingram can't get anything. Right. You know? So The only other the, – the, the starter as a wide receiver was C.J. Board. Again, he continues to get starter reps with, you know, with the guys being hurt. 
CJ Board to me looks like a solid backup receiver. I know he's not exciting for Giants fans because he's not overly tall or he's not I mean he's I think he's faster than most Giants fans even realize. But he doesn't flash a lot. But that means that if somebody's hurt, he can kind of move in and do a little whatever is needed to make the game plan work. And I think that versatility is what is going to keep him around, not just as a special teams guy. A lot of people are like, he's going to make it because of special teams. I think he's legitimately going to make it but as a backup wide receiver. Again, for what the role he is fighting to be on, you don't need that flash and all that pizzazz or anything. You need someone to do his job. You need someone to, you know, replace the missing production that you are losing with somebody being out. So I, that doesn't that doesn't worry me that he's not the flashiest guy in the world. It's just can you can you execute the playbook? Can you run the routes? Can you catch the ball when thrown to you? Because someone in his position, they're not going to have he's not going to have 13 targets a game. He might have three or four. But those three and four, I need him to catch them. And I feel comfortable with a guy like him that he could. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I think CJ Board, um, he's, he's not somebody who's going to excite you, but he'll make that third down and six catch that keeps the drive alive. And, you know, you don't think about it all year, but in the moment in that game, you, you know, he comes through, it looks like. Um, we'll we'll get to you know the depth in the wide receiver battles as we talk about the roster in a little bit. So let's slide down to the the starting tight ends here. Evan Ingram had I would say an up and down game. He had some I, I thought he had some pretty good receiver reps. Uh, you know we, some nice play design that looked specific to him. You know like I said on that on that on the um, the play before the interception where he was thrown to and kind of stretched out to the right. Um, you know, I think he scores if Darius Slayton is, you know, healthy enough to sustain that block long enough. I mean, and and I, it wasn't, he didn't need to keep that block going for a million years or anything like that. He just, you know, just not long enough. But then, you know, he also had some brutal blocking reps. I mean, especially on the goal line, he got punched right off the line. And his guy scraped all the way that around the defensive line to make a tackle on the left side of the line is, you know, all the way that that's unacceptable. But also, I don't know why he. I don't know that he's in the play if Kyle Rudolph is healthy. You know, at that time. Let's be very honest about Evan Ingram. The biggest issues we have Evan Ingram is between his ears. It's you know his ability to make a big play when the lights are brightest and it's most important for him. So him getting his reps during preseason game is fine and all. I want to see what happens when it's. Third and 11, fourth quarter, Giants are down by four, need to keep a drive going. That's where, you know, the Everett Ingram test is going to pass for me. We know what his natural ability is. We know what his football ability is. We just have been let down by him in the biggest moments. And, you know, what we see in a, in a preseason game is fine and all, get him football ready to go. The test for me is going to be in those big spots. And, Hopefully, and we mentioned this in the offseason, that he won't be the focus of this offense anymore. You know, we we brought in a lot more talent around him. So maybe some of that pressure is off of him, off of his own shoulders, that he won't, you know, you know get the yips in a big game. But it, it's going to be – he has to be brought to the test when, the, when the, uh, the pressure's on the most. And that's when we'll see, you know, what he is. Caden Smith got the other starter reps at tight end again with Kyle Rudolph not playing it for this game, um, and I, you know Caden Smith 
every time he's out there, he's making the most out of what he's told to do. I know he he's he's more in line with that like blocking tight end or possession tight end. He's not going to really stretch the field, but I don't know why not. I mean, he ran that seam route and scores a touchdown. He just straight up right off the line, be Adrian Colbert, former Giant, um, for a touchdown. And not only that, that's a great cat. First of all, the pass is beautiful. Any 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 other placement, and it's an incompletion. It's, it was just too tight of a window. But also a great high point catch in the end zone there for a guy who is not 6'7", like Kyle Rudolph, who doesn't even need to leave his feet for that one. Getting back to the throw uh, with Daniel Jones, it's something I saw. It was Tom Rock had it last night. He had a great tweet, and I think it really encapsulates what Daniel Jones needs to do. The third-year jump the Giants need from Daniel Jones is different from other quarterbacks have done will make. He doesn't need to get better. His good is already great. What he needs to get rid of is his bad, which is terrible, which is often ill-timed and can be team-crippling. That's Daniel Jones. I mean, that is the tweet of the week because in this game, we saw that. That throw to Caden Smith was fantastic. He doesn't have to learn. He doesn't have to get better. He has that in his tool chest. He can make those throws. It's just getting rid of the bad he has to work on. And, you know, we, we bring up here talking about Caden Smith, but that was as nice of a throw as you're going to see. A lot of quarterbacks will, can never get to the point of throwing a throw like that. He has the ability to run the ball. He has the ability to do all these things. It's just getting rid of the bad stuff. So it's not a question of can he get better. It's how do you just cut out the bad stuff? Yeah, I think that's absolutely perfect. And, and you know, not for nothing, but we dealt with Eli doing this kind of shit too. Now, Eli had a pedigree that that Jones does not yet, and, you know, he, he earned his keep, but – it was a couple of years for Eli before he got there. And then also, you know, the comparison to Eli of him is Eli Manning, over the course of his career, the quality of skill players and offensive line he had decreased and he got into his later years. So he had to try to and being the you know the, the old veteran he was, he tried to create things out of nothing, which caused some yes. of those foolish turnovers that right now we are getting on Daniel Jones's case for for doing pretty much the same thing. As Daniel Jones' career gets up, this this team is getting better skill position players around him. Yes, everybody, the offensive line is better than it was two years ago, so that's getting better as well. So as the talent around him improves, hopefully that is a part of that getting rid of the bad from him. But it's no different than Eli Manning based on the talent he had around him. Yeah, I mean, we could do we could do. We could do an hour-long episode on how the talent around Eli Manning diminished between the years of 2008 and you know 2017, 18. Yeah. So, um, moving to the O line a little bit here, and I don't want to drive too much on this because we started with it. But we'll, Andrew Thomas is is probably the biggest disappointment because he's the guy that we're really, really banking on, and um, I don't think that this is him. I don't know what happened, but he got beaten around the edge a lot, and it, it seemed like, and I'm not as savvy with O-line stuff as I am everything else, but it seemed like overcompensating for inside rushes, which was kind of his problem last year. I mean, he's he's good at kicking out real far, and it seemed like this was just staying inside a little bit too much and kind of swinging open his hips maybe too early or something, but, you know, right around the edge. And, and on the other side, Nate Solder got the start at right tackle, and he was pathetic. I mean, he was just as bad... But but in the run game, I mean, 
really, honestly, if you key in on Nate Solder, it was pretty disgusting for that game. Now, he's shaking off a ton of rust, so I'm willing to just understand that because I mean, he wasn't really even practicing all that much for a while. He's also not so. our starter. He's not expected yes. to be the starting. Well, not, not now, after after Sunday, definitely. I mean, I think that was maybe up for debate going into this game, but now I think it is clear because Matt Parrott, you know, he had a false start, but I think he had an okay game. I mean, he is he's going to be an okay player as he gets used to the level he's at. I mean, he's coming from UConn. He was raw coming here anyway. We thought he was going to so. be a project. We thought when, when they drafted him, I remember me and you talked about it. We said it'll probably be, you know, two, three years before he's even in the rotation. And look, he's right. He's penciling as a starter in year two. Yeah. After a year, yeah. after a wash year of last year. Yeah, and I mean, he had an okay game when playing against the ones. When he was against the twos, he looked perfectly fine. I mean, that's not a ringing endorsement, but what I'm what I am saying is that like that's kind of his play. If he's got a a weak pass rush going against him, he's gonna be fine. If he's got, I mean, we got Von Miller and and, and Chubb coming up first, so you know, temper that expectation. But can, but. can I just say one thing? Well, that's Andrew Thomas. Can we stop with the Eric Flowers? comparisons please oh i don't even that, that is a total disservice to really understanding just how bad eric flowers eric flowers would get beat in one second on play after play after play and the only times he didn't get beat is when he committed a penalty he was very bad and can we stop with the revisionist history about andrew thomas when they drafted him you know how many times was it parroted yesterday they drafted the worst available guy of the four and all this stuff he was a first team all sec left tackle which probably next to quarterback is probably means you are the best player in the hardest conference in college football. So, you know, it, this, great left tackles in college are not like, you know, great quarterbacks in college who don't translate to the NFL. And he was really a, a rock solid on a great offensive line. That was Georgia. Who's, you know, who had multiple guys go to the NFL and everything. So, you know, it's a disservice to everybody around you when you call – first, you think he's a bust already after one year. And I'm – again, for the 87th show in a row, I'm going to tell the reasons why because of the, the no offseason and, you know, how many offensive line coaches has he had, changing his technique, all these different things. You know, you don't judge offensive linemen, left tackles, and quarterbacks after one year or two years. They, it's – it is a development position that takes time so you know if you want to call him eric flowers a second go ahead you sound like a fool the other guys on the inside i mean hernandez was okay gates was okay uh, i mean they were mostly good there were just a couple things the the two of them together gates and hernandez they missed really uh it, i think it's gates that missed a block on a tackle and stunt or uh, he didn't pick it up in time, kind of forced, I'm not sure, I think it was Jones out of the pocket. Ted Larson looks like he's the, the best option at left guard right now. He kind of got the start. He looked okay. Wiggins came in there. He looked not very good, but not terrible, I guess. Um, but the Shane Lemieux spot to lose, I think. And I think that Shane Lemieux is, if this were a regular season game, would have played. There's just no reason to test him for this. Well, I, I guess now it depends on what you know, the Billy Price situation. You know, where is he going to fit into this? 
I, I mean, I, I think they really want this to be Shane Lemieux's spot. You have to remember, Billy Price is showing up, you know, he's not here yet even. I mean, he got the call right. a couple of hours but ago. The so. expectation is at some point, you know, he's going to have a place. I mean, it may not be for week one or week two, but probably by week four, he's going to have a slot, whether it's starting somewhere to, to spell somebody who's playing poorly or, you know, definitely part of the rotation. I mean, I would think so, yeah. Switching over to the defensive side, the defensive line looks re- really good. <laughs> the defense in general is something you guys should be excited as hell for because as as shaky as the offense is, I, I feel really, really comfortable with this defense after yesterday. I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not particularly scared of rookie Mac Jones and, and Cam Newton particularly, but they were struggling a little bit here to, to get any kind of footing. Um Leonard Williams was pushing the pocket on third down while being double teamed at one point when Dexter Lawrence got a sack. I mean, he was pushing back two linemen um, into the pocket. Dexter Lawrence got that sack, and I thought he played well in the run. He got he got nailed for a, a bullshit holding call, I, I think. I mean, he sniffed out a screen so quickly and just kind of like... He, I mean, he, he touched the guy's arm, but he's also turning around at that spot anyway, and they kind of it kind of looked like he spun him or whatever. I mean, even Carl Banks on the on the broadcast I saw kind of agrees with me that that was holding can, wasn't holding. Can I? You mentioned Carl Banks. Can I just get something off my chest a little about, about Carl Banks, please? <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> Carl Banks is an all-time giant great. We loved Carl Banks from you know the the '86 team, the '90 team, and all that. Carl Banks is not a very good color commentator i mean carl banks is a classic guy on the radio who you know somebody remember from the past he's never going to pay for another meal ever again in this town stick him in the booth let him say his thing you know and i get it it's a hard spot to be in you're paid by the team you're a homer you root for the team but it's just a lot of things he says are just you know when i guess when you spend all week and you're, you know, you're reading really good articles and information. You listen to really smart people on podcasts. It's like, I don't feel like he adds anything that I'm learning in the broadcast. And a lot of things, I think he has a little bit of agenda for some of these things. I I'm just, I've never been a fan of him as an announcer. You know, again, Dick Lynch before him was just, you know, he was a cartoon character, but it was charming. He's kind of brought in to be someone who's supposed to be really knowledgeable. And, He's got knowledge from being a player. I just don't know what his real knowledge is from what he's watching on a play-to-play basis. Sorry, just had to just had to throw that in about about Carl Banks. I, I love you, Carl, but uh, we could use an upgrade for our color commentator on the radio side. <laughs> Jesus. Um, all right, we'll, we'll try you out at that, but uh, yeah, you know, whatever. I mean, doing. I, I honestly think you know, and I, I can't stand listening to him. But Chris Collinsworth is one of the few that are really, really, really good at in like one second completely diagnosing what he just saw. That that's just incredibly hard. And but I don't trust every commentator to always be right. It's why I watch everything, and I'm never a hundred percent on anybody's side. I mean, sometimes I don't agree with Art Stapleton or Dan Duggan or Jordan Rayna, but sometimes I do. And I'm just going to have my opinion based on what I see. I never just take what's told to me verbatim. So I suggest you all do the same as best you can. Yeah, and don't parrot what you heard from what Carl Banks said. If Carl, well, Carl Banks said this, it's like get a second opinion. You know, if you go, if you go to a doctor and he looks like he might be a quack and he tells you you have two weeks to live, you go get a second opinion. So I I would do the same as this. Um, 
I'm, I'm just going to only really touch on these starters here. So, you know, Austin Johnson, I think, played really well with good strength in the run game. Uh, and I thought, you know, moving into the linebackers here, we, we have a really cool situation here. I, we walked into this season, we thought Tay Crowder is going to take that second step and be next to Blake Martinez and, you know, whatever. And then they signed Reggie Raglan, and there's your veteran guy who's really good in the run game and stuff. And, you know, oh, all of a sudden Carter Coughlin's out here and he doesn't look too bad. And they all kind of have different things that they're good at. I mean, Reggie Raglan looked like he's really good at that, like, everything in front of him downhill against the run and zone coverage. And, you know, the check down pass is his. He's got it, okay? And Carter Coughlin, I think he looks pretty good, especially when he's blitzing in the A-gap. He looks pretty comfortable in zone coverage. He he may not have the long speed to go sideline to sideline in some man coverage things, so... Whatever, but and and Tay Crowder on the other hand, he's that former running back who's really athletic and he can run with guys in man coverage, and uh, he's also really good running downhill because it's quite literally the opposite of playing running back. You're still shooting the same gaps, you just don't know where it is until it's happening, so you just got to read it a little faster. Um, and I think that they're all going to play, and it's not even worth mentioning. You know, Blake Martinez. What an insane interception in this game. I mean, really, yeah. truly. He ran from the line of scrimmage faking an A-gap blitz all the way down to around midfield to make a pick and ripped it out of the hands out of one of New England's best wide receivers. Yeah, that was impressive. Yeah. Um, I feel much more comfortable with the inside linebacker group this year than last year, by far, and even more comfortable than I was coming into this year. I feel pretty good. Um, and you should too. I feel, you know, pretty much this entire 11, I feel pretty comfortable about. I mean, the other thing you have to remember too, with a defense like we have, you don't have to rely on Daniel Jones, this offensive line, everything to have 30 points a game and 600 yards of offense to win games. This team does not, is not built to win shootouts. This, the defense is going to keep this offense in almost every game. So that's a huge benefit and a huge thing that Daniel Jones has. He doesn't have to worry about having to do every too much himself. He has a defense that's going to keep him around and give him the opportunity to win games. Yeah. Outside linebacker, you know, kind of the same story as inside linebacker. Aziz Ojolari, Lorenzo Carter, O'Shane Ziminis, those guys are going to cycle a lot. Um, they all do things a little differently. Carter's a little bit better in coverage than the other two. Um, I mean, Ojolari is a rookie, so you know, keep that in mind. He's really young too, so he's got some filling out to do. And Ziminis is looking pretty good in those pass rush reps. We haven't seen him in such a long time due to injury. Same thing with Carter, but feeling feeling okay there. I mean, there's still no game changer on the outside at all, but you know, there's some there's some talent there. Moving into the backfield, I mean, this is where everybody should feel the most uh, comfortable because I mean, we don't even have a Dory Jackson playing right. because it's not worth injuring him, but. Bradbury, you know, shaking off some rust in this game, had a penalty and, you know, was targeted once or twice, but still really, really good. Darius Williams playing with the ones looked like he, I don't want to say like looked like he belonged, like he, he earned a starting spot, but he didn't look like not a starter, mm-hmm. right? He I mean, competed. He pretty damn he good. He competed yeah. back there, sure. Darnay Holmes, his role is expanding a little bit. I mean, you know, these these disguise coverage, these new things that we're seeing from Patrick Graham, um, you know, he's got a lot more responsibility. He's looking pretty good out there. And Logan Ryan, Jabril Pepper, Xavier McKinney, Julian Love, these guys, I don't even need to mention them. They all look good. 
They all look good. They're, Julian Love almost had a diving interception at one point, I think, on third down. Um, I don't want to get too much into specials, but I will mention no one's talking enough, in my opinion, about, in fact, at all, about how Graham Gano missed a 41-yard field goal. I, you know, I, I truly expected Giants Twitter to be like, oh, here comes the Ryan Santoso tweets. <laughs> but, you know, is it the end of the world? No. Is it? I mean, he's usually money, and he wasn't money. Um, and I think Riley Dixon was up and down. He, he started the game off with a, a short punt, and I was like, here we go. But then, you know, pinned one down real, real close. He had another one where he booted, like, almost 60 yards or something like that. Um one that I didn't think we were going to even get close to pinning deep, and he actually ended up in the end zone. kicking a touchback. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the starters, in my opinion, after rewatching, they looked a lot better than what I thought in the stadium. You know, we're there. It's not – and this is how it always is. I mean, there's – in the game, you know, I'm nervous. I don't really – I'm just like, oh, man, what are we doing here? And every mistake feels a little bit heavier than it really is. When I go back and rewatch it, I know the outcome, win or loss. We always look a little bit better on TV than what I thought live. Well, if you, well when you're watching a game live, you are injecting what you want to see as opposed to an analysis is what did I just see? And that's going to cloud your vision and just, you know, your these things are emotional, make you a wreck. You know, it's, it's three hours of up and down, up and down emotions that you're not going to see. It's kind of like, you know, if you're jogging, your eyes aren't looking exactly straight. They're going to go up and down, up and down. It's the same thing with this. So that makes perfect sense. Our job, when we when we go to a game, we are not going as media members who are just working on our our takes for the show. We're going first and foremost as fans wanting to watch this team win. You know, we'll go back and, and as Grump has said, we'll go into the film and look at other stuff. But that initial cut is us in our jerseys with a beer rooting and cheering and screaming and hollering and all that stuff as a fan. At least one beer. Um, I'm going to rifle through my, my best guess at a 53-man roster. Now, when I say that, I mean two things here. A, the way this is done now, it's a mad scramble. We do an initial 53, and by you know a couple hours after it's posted, we start hearing new things about guys who just got cut from other teams. Things are all being shuffled in real time real quick. So it's not really worth me agonizing over these last couple spots, but I'll justify what I've done you know, as best I can. But we'll start right you know, with, with quarterback. It's obviously Daniel Jones and Mike Glennon, right? And, and Mike Glennon, I think after last night, the way he looked – he honestly looked like a very clear upgrade over Colt McCoy. There was some debate uh, among, you know, Giants Twitter or whatever, but I didn't think he looked even remotely not good yesterday. He looked the best he looked all preseason. I would not feel I would not feel comfortable if, if if Daniel Jones was out 4 to 6 weeks, I would pretty much take my uh my futures bet on them making the playoffs and I'd probably throw it in the garbage. But, you know, if I need to come in for a game he played well enough that I think he might be able to get the job done for a game or so. Yeah, I, I yeah, I agree. Running back it gets a little it gets a little crowded and and, and strange, but uh I ultimately ended going with only four and thinking that they're going to try and put Gary Brightwell on the practice squad. I think he showed something that they like 
and that's that's good and great. Not a, not enough, you know. And he didn't show enough, I don't think, for other teams to be poaching him off there. I mean, he didn't look outstanding at any point. But Barker, Barker, Barkley, Booker, Penny, and Clement are the ones that I ended up going with. But I, you know, that was a little bit tough. And quite frankly, I, I wanted to keep Colin Gillespie because of the amount of special teams reps that he was getting and looking pretty decent at them. I it just didn't end up fitting in. Um, moving into tight end. Again, this was a much diff- more difficult thing when we had Toy Lolo here. Now, now we don't. So, you know, looking at Evan Ingram, Kyle Rudolph, and Caden Smith, I think that covers just about anything. And, you know, they'll probably throw either Griffin Stewart or Houseman or both onto the practice squad just in case somebody else gets hurt. Or Kyle, I mean, Kyle Rudolph is dealing with an injury currently. I mean, he can probably play ye- yesterday or whatever, Sunday. Well, you're listening to this on Tuesday. So Sunday, if it were a regular season game, but... There's no telling how he's going to hold up after the first couple hits. He might set him back. Who knows? Well, that's so. what I mentioned before. It's like just because some people are coming back off injury, that doesn't mean they're 100%. I mean, there may be some setbacks with some of these guys. Yeah. Wide receiver, I mean, this is obviously the one that people are going to talk about a lot. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to do the best I can to justify myself here. Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Kadarius Tony. Those are the obvious ones. Now we get into the less obvious. Is I still have John Ross in there. Uh, I have CJ Board. You have you have John Ross making it. Okay. I have John Ross making. I mean, he hasn't done a damn thing yet, but I, I, he has he has a deep speed ability that is just non-existent from this team right now. Um, and I won't believe that it's a Kadarius Tony thing until. He practices, he shows some of it, and they, they trust him with that. And I don't think John Ross is in their future plans. I think he's their plans oh, this I, year. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, I have C.J. Board making it, and not just for special teams reasons, as I touched on before. I think he's your good first guy off the bench when somebody's hurt. Put him in there. He can do it. Um, and then I have David Sol- Sills and Matt Cole making it. So eight wide receivers there. Sills, I think... They're open to a trade probably if if somebody comes calling, but I don't think he was so outstanding in preseason that that's going to happen. But uh, you know, I I started with him off, and I I couldn't justify it as the roster shakeout came. I think he offers some things that are probably never going to matter in a real season game. I mean, he might go in there for a couple. He might even get a couple of catches, but I don't see him playing some big role that it really matters. Matt Cole looks like the best special teams gunner we have. Um, so I couldn't justify keeping him off. Dante Pettis and and uh, Damian Willis, I think, are really good wide receivers. It was hard for me to cut Pettis particularly uh, because I think he did everything right. I think he just – he's another one of those guys, though, where he kind of falls more into the CJ board and the Kadarius Tony and John Ross kind of deep speed and you know that kind of thing where he doesn't have what David Sills has. And so he just – his skill set is a little redundant, and so that I gave the nod to Sills. But again, all of these guys, these bottom, these last couple roster guys, they might be shuffling in and out anyway, so it's not worth agonizing over. Um, the offensive line, Andrew Thomas, Shane Lemieux, Nick Gates, Will Hernandez, Matt Parrott, Nate Solder. Then it gets down to the backup guys. All I could really justify was Nate Solder, um, Jonathan Harrison, Billy Price and Ted Larson right now. And again, that is all going to change. That does mean that Chad Slade and Kenny Wiggins don't make the cut. I don't know how I feel about that. They obviously really like Kenny Wiggins, even though I don't. 
And uh, Chad Slade, I think, is one of the few that has inside and outside ability. So I'd like to sneak him in if I can. I just couldn't fit it. Uh, which of those guys you'd say on the on the real bubble right now in case there's they pick up someone off the waiver wire? Who Who's your first man I out? Would, if it's me, it's Wiggins that's the first man out. Because Slade, I think, is okay on the inside. But he can also play... Just, just say for friggin' Matt Parrott's shoe breaks open and they gotta pull him out for three plays. Chad Slade can play right tackle for three plays and not be a royal embarrassment. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, just those quick little things. Obviously, if if he's got, if they have to game plan for a whole week with nobody at right tackle, he's not gonna be a great option. I don't want to pretend that he is, but he's at least able. I, if we don't, I mean, who are our backups here? It's just Nate Solder. As your swing tackle, because Harrison can't play outside. I don't think Billy Price can play outside. Ted Larson can't play outside. Kenny Wiggins can't play outside. To me, I'd rather have that inside-outside versatility. But again, this might be a guy who's not even on the roster right now. Yeah. I don't know about Nate Solder. I, you know, he looked really, really bad. I, you know, we again, we don't know what he looks like during the you know the close practices and everything. But he looked like a guy to me that the only reason he's was still out there is we basically not paying anything for him to be there. <laughs> so, I mean, I think I would not be shocked at all if he gets the gate. I could see, as of the initial 53, I can't see him not making it, but I could absolutely see a better swing tackle hitting the market that's worth the money. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or, just worth the move. Yeah. I could see that yeah. for sure. Yeah. Defensively, things shook out a little bit easier than offensively just because of the B.J. Hill trade, I think. You know, your defensive line is Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Austin Johnson, Danny Shelton. Those are your starters, whatever. Uh, And then I think Raymond Johnson is that B.J. Hill guy. He's the athletic inside-outside guy. He kind of even looks like Tuck. He's got the same number. Um, And I think David Moa has earned that final spot. I mean, special teams guy. He also made some noise you know, against the twos. So that's where I ended up. I mean, there's not much after them anyway, between Elijah Qualls and Willie Henry, but um, really, really solid group of, group of defensive linemen. Part of the reason why Hill was, uh, the only reason why Hill was expendable. Linebackers is a little bit more difficult. I ended up going uh, Blake Martinez, Reggie Ragland, Aziz Ojolari, Lorenzo Carter, O'Shane Ziminis, Tay Crowder, Carter Coughlin. Those are kind of the obvious ones. And then I have Trent Harris making it. I mean, give me one reason why I shouldn't. And uh, Cam Brown makes it because I, th- I mean, I think he would. He looks good coming off the edge, but he's been a phenomenal special teams player. So I think he has some defensive ability, but definitely is going to be a, a starter on special teams. So he makes it in my book. So we're going to talk about when you finish your fifty-three. We're going to talk about special teams for a second. So keep going. Yep. DBs, again, hard. This one was weird because I don't really understand some of the moves that were made. We kind of accumulated all these random DBs that were really special teams guys. I can't fit this many special teams players on one roster. I really I really can't. So Bradbury, Adoree Jackson, those are the obvious ones. Where Darius Williams, at this point, looks like the first corner off the bench on the outside. And, you know, Darnay Holmes in the slot. Then Jabril Peppers, uh, Logan Ryan... And Xavier McKinney, Julian Love, and I have Sam Beal making the roster. Yeah, I was being... As of right now, I, I I had him halfway written off, but I can't think of a good reason why not after last night. I thought he played well. Yeah, I, that's actually my first note right here is where do you have Sam Beal if he's on the team or not? So, interesting. 
So I agonized a little bit over the special teams here, right? So we had we came in, we we traded for Josh Jackson. The dude has barely practiced. I I can't put him on if he hasn't practiced. I don't know if he's IR capable or whatever, but there's that. And then we went out and we got this Keon Crossan guy, and he looks terrible on defense. And quite frankly, doesn't look all that special on special teams. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not an expert on that, so I could be completely wrong. But he certainly doesn't jump off the page to me on specials. So when I came down to picking specials guys, to me, Cam Brown and Matt Cole jumped off the page to me, and he didn't. And quite frankly, Colin Gillespie jumped off the page more to me than Keon Croson on specials. So how many, Maybe I'm wrong. So, so how many guys do you have on this roster just because of their specials then? Just because of their specials? Right. I have like two. Okay, because I, I – Well, actually, just because of their specials, one is Matt Cole. Okay. I, I don't expect him to really take a meaningful wide receiver. Because role. you rattle off a lot of names that were like, well, they play specials, they play specials. It's like making that the tipping point of why you're keeping them as opposed to dumping them. You have, you have... No, I mean th- there are some guys who have that ability that give them the edge to make it. Like I said, David Moa. But, I mean, we, I was raving about David Moa two weeks ago on defense, just for defensive snaps. So, um. Those guys, they have that – that's like a bonus that, that bumps them in there. But Matt Cole is the pure special teams guy for me, okay. aside from the obvious – you know, the three, Dixon, Gano, and Kreider. Gotcha. So um, that was my 53-man roster. I'm sure that people will think some of it's crazy, but, I mean, whatever. Well, you know something? is you win the offseason, that looks like a Super Bowl contending team to me. <laughs> um, I guess so now as we – you know, we have cutdowns and – Free agents are flooding the market. Most likely positions you think we will try to make a move on. So then that means guys most likely are on the bubble, even though they've made your your roster. Inside, inside, uh, actually all offensive linemen, anyone. I mean, the, the guys that are stuck there, Solder, Slade, um, Larson, Wiggins, those guys to me all – are you know in danger of a better person hitting the market yeah agreed um you know larson might have a little bit of a pass because whoever we pick up in the open market has like two weeks to get ready for week one Mm -hmm. and if shane lemieux gets hurt you know we need somebody who already knows the friggin playbook to to jump in there so larson you know he might hang around for a couple weeks before price picks up the playbook or who knows but but those are the guy, the whole offensive line. Other than that, I, I mean, I don't really see a big need at wide receiver. I don't see a big need at maybe tight end. I could see us, you know, with Ingram coming out with that calf injury that looks somewhat serious. Rudolph is banged up. I could see tight end being added. Uh, but defensively, I can't really. I don't see a need anywhere. Could you see a wide receiver being picked? I mean, I'm sorry, a running back being picked up. I I can't no because. I mean, normally I would say yes, but especially with the way they were giving Penny running back snaps, now you've got with if Barkley needs to miss a whole game, you've got three guys right there that are all running backs. And I, I, yes, there's probably going to be a better one that hits the the market, but is it worth losing out on somebody else where, where you have like a weakness? Maybe I mean, what what do you who's getting cut to add another running back to the mix? Oh, it's you just, know? just swapping out a running back we have now for something, you know. Maybe, you know, I, I would say Clement is probably at, at the most that's, risk there. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah, but but I mean, I, that's not an indictment on him. I thought no. he had a pretty good preseason. No, I, again, a lot of this is based upon what is available. I mean, people are going to get cut for reasons that may not make sense to us, you know, but based upon, you know, there are 32 GMs trying to make a 53-man roster, and they all look at talent different ways, and they know 
how their teams are interchangeable in, in other the parts. So there may be guys that we were had no idea would be available and we just are going to grab them for talent accumulation. So we'll have to see. Yeah. So the next couple of days are going to be a wild ride. So we're not going to do like a reaction thing to everything. If there's a major addition or subtraction that happens, we'll probably have a, a quick episode or something, but I don't foresee anything too crazy. Um, yeah, the one thing we do want to keep our eye on, and I don't know how long ago this came out, was uh, Evan Ingram is getting tests on that calf. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and that was almost, I would, somewhat non-contact injury. So. Yeah, so the, that might be, you know, we got uh, two weeks before the first game. We'll have to just keep an eye on that and see what impact that has on things. Yeah. But, you know, for the next couple of days, while it's going crazy and we're not able to react to everything with full-on content, the best thing to do is follow us on Twitter, which most of you already do anyway. But I am at football underscore grump. I am, as always, at the Cranky Fan. And this show, as always, can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, anywhere where there's podcasts, you can find it there. And also on Twitter, at JustGiantsPod. And coming soon, another Mm -hmm. outlet. Another outlet, yeah. We will be expanding a whole lot of stuff. A bunch of stuff, a bunch of really exciting stuff is coming forward. Um, Stay tuned. Really, yeah. Not going to announce anything yet, but I mean, you'll see it. It'll be everywhere. So, by all means, be sure to subscribe for free for all these things. All this stuff is free, so take advantage of it. Why not? Yeah, hey, why not? It's free. Yeah, tell your pals. (laughs) All right, everyone. We're going to see you a whole lot over the next couple weeks, and in two weeks, the regular season. So awesome. Very excited. Amen. And we hope to see you guys there. So, in a couple weeks, home 425 against the Denver Broncos. But before that, we'll see you next week for another episode. Go Go Giants. Giants!